tell you what you're listening to. Welcome to Father Simon Says on Relevant Radio with Father Richard Simon. I'm here to answer your questions. Have a question? Give us a call. 1-888-914-9149. That's any question you may have about the Lord, the faith, and the church. That's 1-888-914-9149. This is, in fact, a radio show called Father Simon Says on Relevant Radio. Oh, here we are. (laughs) Well, I've solved my letter problem. All the letter problems I had, I was pressing a button that I thought would make the the print, uh, the fine print, on the screen larger, and it erased all my letters. So I have some letters in a friendlier computer. What I do is I transfer letters from computer A to computer B, because computer B likes me more. And so I've got letters for today, but... If you sent me a letter and I haven't answered it and you really need an answer, send it again because (laughs) I erased them all. Well, uh, let's pray. In the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Come, Holy Spirit, fill the hearts of your faithful and kindle in them the fire of your love. Send forth your spirit. They shall be created and you shall renew the face of the earth. Lord, you taught the hearts of the nations by the light of the Holy Spirit. By the light of that same Spirit, may we all have right judgment in all things and evermore rejoice in your comfort through Christ our Lord. Hail Mary, full of grace, the Lord is with thee. Blessed art thou amongst women, and blessed is the fruit of thy womb, Jesus. Holy Mary, Mother of God, pray for us sinners now and at the hour of our death. Amen. Saint Michael the Archangel, defend us in battle. Be our defense against the wickedness and snares of the devil. May God rebuke him, we humbly pray. And do thou, O Prince of the Heavenly Host, by the power of God, cast into hell Satan, and all the evil spirits who prowl about the world seeking the ruin of souls. Amen. And Lord, while we got you on the line, I I have a couple prayer requests, and I'd ask you all to join me to pray for everyone who's suffering from COVID, but in particular, there's a dear friend of mine named Bill. Um, uh, He and his wife are very good friends, and and he is very, very ill with COVID. And Lord, if it be your perfect will, we'd ask you to heal him. And also, um, for the people that wrote me asking for that same thing and for everyone who's who's suffering from COVID. And I think of Doris, another dear friend. So, Lord, we would ask you to help us to hear you clearly and, and that you would relent and have mercy on your people. In the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen. You know, you look at biblical plagues and hmm, they're meaningful. So, I don't know. That's it's it's risky business to talk about biblical plagues and compare it to COVID. I have no idea what's going on. And, uh, um, you know, I always tell the Lord he should consult me first on these things, and he never does. Oh, well, I'm kidding, of course. Uh, Jesus, we trust in you. All right, let's go to the big book on the coffee table, the Bible. And today is one of my favorite feast days. This is the feast of St. Elizabeth of Hungary, who, believe it or not, is one of the big patron saints of the part of Germany my relatives come from, uh, Upper Hesse, Oberhessen. And uh, um, um, she was born in Hungary, but at the age of three, being betrothed to the to the, the Duke of, of, of Hesse, she was sent to uh, live in the castle uh, at, um, oh, come on, why do I want, I was going to say Erfurt, not Erfurt, the, uh, the Wartburg. That's where Martin Luther translated the Bible, but the Upper Hessians don't think of it as, 
as uh, um, uh, they don't associate as much with Luther as they do with Saint Elizabeth, and uh, it's it's really interesting uh, uh, to see that place. and And she had a very difficult life, uh, and she was pretty much repudiated by her family when her husband died, uh, by her in laws who had she'd lived with them since she was three. So fascinating saint, and uh, she's she was buried in Marburg, which is the capital of our part of Hessian. Well, Castle really, it's sort of, never mind. Let's go to the readings. Did I, did we open the big book on the coffee table? We did. Now this is, it's so open. Well, this is, it's, it's beginning to, to dry out. It's so open. This is a story about a mother, uh, who saw her seven sons perish in a day. Um, you know, this is one of the saddest and most beautiful stories in the scriptures. Uh, and um, these seven brothers who were executed in front of their mother, and the king tried with every one uh, to, to convince them and to convince her to convince them to, to deny the God of Israel, and they wouldn't do it. And the mother urged them on to, to martyrdom. Oh, that's preposterous. No mother would do that. I know somebody who knows somebody who did it. I had a very dear friend uh, who was a deacon whose uh, godfather was, uh, was a Mexican priest. And this priest witnessed his best friend killed by the, the anti-Catholic uh, uh, socialist Masonic government of Mexico. People do not know about that. Some people have seen the movie The Cristeros, which is a good movie. It isn't absolutely historically accurate. Um, you know, so there were atrocities on both sides, but it, this is something we know nothing about. And the U.S. government uh, really helped uh, in the persecution of the church. I think people don't know that. That uh, I think it was Woodrow Wilson's Secretary of State just was delighted every time he heard news of another priest killed in in Mexico. There was active participation of 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 the United States in the suppression of the church in Mexico, and uh, uh, the the image of Our Lady of Guadalupe was smuggled out of Mexico and that sort of thing. People don't know about this period. It was in the nineteen. I want to say the 1920s. It's the, the era of the Cristeros, C-R-I-S-T-E-R-O-S. You can look it up. It's an amazing time, and nobody, even Mexicans, don't really know about it. It's, it's been erased, and it was a period in which, in which people resisted uh, um, the, the, the government in a very godly way. And uh, I remember hearing the story of a, told me by this man whose godfather had told him the story, uh, and it's portrayed in the movie For Greater Glory. Uh, in other words, I know somebody who knew somebody well who was a witness to that story, a little, a little boy who simply held the horses for some people. He was very innocent. Didn't, I don't think he knew what he was doing. Um, they tortured him and took, essentially, because he would not deny the faith and would not uh, expose uh, other people to... To, um, to danger, they, they stripped the, the skin off the bottom of his feet, made him walk to a place and dig his own grave. I think he was like seven years old, and his parents had to watch, and they encouraged him to die bravely. They encouraged him to die bravely for the faith. I, this, this, so you read the story and think, oh, this is just poetic, yada, yada. It isn't at all. 
it it happened within the the not quite but in the living memory of people who I knew when I was young uh, I knew somebody who knew somebody who was there this this is amazing that a mother would encourage her child to die for Christ and that kid died bravely and of course uh, the witness to it became a priest uh, I don't know what to say about that, but we, we live so superficially that we think, oh, what a waste of life. No, not a waste of life. We are all going to die. Um, we, <laughs> I was listening to something, some program talking about Darwin and evolution and, and about how uh, um, people used to die more than they do now. What? It's still 100%. Uh, you know, life is short. It's a day long. If you wake up tomorrow, guess what? It'll be today. Life is short. Use use the time that God has given you well. And and the idea that, well, you want to cling to life. Well, what did Pablo Casals say? Better to add life to years than years to life. Now, it's easy for me to say that. My health at the moment seems good. Uh, check with me again when I am facing my mortality more honestly. But we all have to understand that God has given us this gift of life. And that's what it says in this. Uh, I do not know how you came to existence. It was not I who gave you the breath of life. It is the creator of the universe who shapes each man's beginning. He and his mercy will give you back both breath and life. You know, that we should pray for such a belief in eternal life and the resurrection that we are able to live well. And that isn't pie in the sky. It's the bravery to live well now. And um, um, you, know, you think, how could I ever do a thing like that? How could I, How will I ever face these things. Well, I, I, I'm sure I told you the story, and I'll tell it to you again. Uh, one of my favorite uh, authors, Corrie Ten Boom, she was a woman who was a, a little old lady, uh, what we used to call an old maid lady, an old spinster, uh, unmarried. Um, and uh, uh, she was old, probably younger than I am now, but she became involved in rescuing Jews from the Nazis in Holland and was eventually arrested and put into a concentration camp. But when she was a little girl, and it occurred to her that her father, who was significantly older, you know, he was a man of many years when she was a little girl, a uh, great white beard, she realized, she realized he was going to die. And she said, Papa, how will I endure it? How will I face it? He said, Corey, when we go to Amsterdam, when do I give you your ticket? Just when I get on the train so I don't lose it. Don't worry, God will give you the ticket when you need it. You understand what I'm saying? God will give you the ticket when you need it. If you think now about how will I ever endure this, how will I ever face this, this is the day the Lord has made. Let us rejoice and be glad in it. I've shared with you a thousand times, uh, C.S. Lewis in the Screwtape Letters puts into the devil's mouth the idea that that uh, you want them to live in the future, a glorious, wonderful future when their ship comes in, or a terrible future that's a disaster. doesn't matter, just so they don't live now, just so they don't see now what the Lord is giving them today. Keep them focused on what may happen, or what they may have, or may lose in the future, because today is the, the, the time, the, the present moment is the time when eternity meets time. And the enemy, meaning God, wants, wants your patient to concentrate either on the eternal realities of heaven or the, the present task uh, by which he arrives at heaven. 
uh, and I do say that, the task. God has given us, uh, you know, we're not saved by works of the law, but works of faith, works of obedience are essential to salvation. So, you know, when you look at uh, something like this, you think, how could I ever do that? Well, God will give you, if he asks this of you, this sort of thing, if you are open to his grace, he will give you the ticket before you get on the train. Beautiful. All right. Uh, I just think this is wonderful. And, you know, people who say, well, the Maccabees isn't inspired. It's not really part of the Bible. They should read it. It is all about how to give your life for Christ. First and second Maccabees is very inspired. All right, let's go to the gospel. Uh, the gospel, Luke, the 19th chapter, the 11th verse and following. We all know this parable and it makes everybody crazy. It's the story of the, of, it's one of the versions of the story of, uh, of the talents. There are different version, versions of this, of, of the story of the talents. There are, let's see if I can, I should have looked this up. Um, uh, the parable of the talents appears in, oh, the parable, of the talents you can hear my computer clicking yep yep okay parable of the talents all right let's see here um uh it occurs in matthew and it occurs in uh, uh let's see let's see we got here today we have uh luke so it appears in different versions and um the the uh, um how can it be different versions? Which one is the right one? Well, I'm a preacher, and it's kind of funny. You don't have a, you may have noticed, you don't have an entirely new sermon for every event. Uh, when we look at the Bible and we see in the, in the, in the, in the Gospels, Jesus said, if you look at the, the tense of the verb, uh, the time of the verb, it's the imperfect tense. Jesus used to say, in other words, he said this kind of thing. He used to say that the kingdom of God is like such and such. So uh, I think that we see it in Luke, uh, the Gospel of Luke, and um, we see it in the in the um, uh, Gospel of of Matthew. And um, well, we're looking at Luke today. So. Okay, and this is um, the the actually the story of the ten gold coins, um, and I believe this coin. I'm going to have to follow this up, but I believe this coin is what was called a mina. It was a specific denomination. It wasn't as much money as is talked about in Matthew. A talent was a huge amount of money uh, in the hundreds of thousands. It was a gold talent. It was worth even more. It was this was a vast sum of money. But um, the the in, in Luke it's it's the gold coins, okay, and it's a mina, which uh, let's see, well, how much is a mina? It's a mina. That's actually how you say it in Greek. Uh, it was equal to a hundred drachmas, which was not a lot of money. I mean, it was quite a bit of uh, 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 it was it was uh, I don't know how many denaria it was but it was it was it was worth let's see 10 mina would have been a thousand days wages so it's a substantial amount uh, one mina was worth 100 denaria 100 denaria was worth uh, a denaria was a, a laboring man's salary at minimum wage so it was 
It was uh, uh, a thousand, a thousand uh, days' wages is with the ten nah, five would be five thousand, and one was just a hundred. So the talent, however, that was big bucks, huge, um, uh, uh, huge amount. Um, so uh, let's see here. I, I, I don't, you know, as I always tell you, I can only count to twenty if my shoes are off. So I'm not a great mathematician, but it wasn't as much money as mentioned Matthew, and that has nothing to do with the parable. I don't know. I've wasted good radio time on it. So this guy goes off to to uh, receive a, they say a kingship. No, 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 no. It, he goes off to receive a kingdom. Ah, interesting. And and I'm always telling you that. Um, that the word in Greek for kingdom is basilea, uh, um, and that means royal dignity. He's talking about King Herod. King Herod was not royalty. He was a uh, he was a, a, a politician and a thug, and he went off to um, receive a kingdom to see, receive royal dignity. He went to Rome to be given the royal dignity. The Roman Senate thought that they had the right to confer kingship on people. Uh, and a, a king, a, a crowned anointed king, could not enter downtown Rome, the sacred district of Rome, because only a Roman citizen could do that. A Roman, a Roman citizen, no matter how poor, was better than any king. So they took on themselves, the, the, the arrogated to themselves, the ability to appoint kings. So he's taught, this is about Herod, in a way. He's saying he went to get a kingdom, and he came back, and he he uh, called him in. You know the story. He called him in and said, uh, uh, "Servant with the ten mina." Uh, uh, he said, uh, "Well, where's my money?" And he says, "Well, master, um, uh, here's ten more." And well done, good and faithful servant. Uh, um, uh, here's ten uh, ten more. Or I'll put you in charge, I think, he says, of ten villages. Oh, how wonderful. Well, then the, the one with five, <laughs> he's put in charge of five villages because he's, he's doubled his master's money. And then the, the third servant just says, I know you're a demanding man. You take up what you laid, laid down, uh, harvest what you didn't plant. So here's your coin, safe and sound. You should have at least invested it, then I would have collected it with interest. And take the gold coin from him and give it to the servant who has ten. Well, that's not fair. The other guy has to... Aren't you listening? The word servant isn't isn't the... I don't know why they translated servant. The word is doulos. It means a slave. In other words, this man who went off to receive the royal dignity, he owned not only the coins, he owned the people who were investing the coins. And what was the reward of the person who did a good job with the coins? They were given greater responsibility. You know, we're, when we think that, that these servants are being rewarded, they're being rewarded with the confidence of their master and more work. This is not unfair. The, the, the Lord is recognizing the incompetence of that slave. And in the, in the version that mentions the talents, uh, uh, lo and behold, what is his punishment? He's cast out into the outer darkness. In other words, he's given his freedom. In the ancient world, people sometimes sold themselves into slavery, especially if they were well-educated and poor. They could be the tutor for a rich Roman family, and uh, they would get gifts and benefits and the price of their own. They would sell themselves. they get the price of their own purchase, and they would invest it. Actually, in the Roman world, slaves could own slaves. There's a different system of slavery that we're used to, that abhorrent slavery that caused the Civil War, that I think caused the Civil War. Um, but... Um, 
this was uh, uh, a different situation. So you raised the kids, you taught them, you babysat them, and then if you had done a good job, you'd probably be given your freedom. And with your investments and the tips and gifts, you had a nice nest egg, buy yourself a, a farm somewhere and retire. Uh, that was the system. But at the moment of this parable, they're slaves. They're owned by the master. He can do with them what he wants. The coins belong to the master. You see, all that's being offered by the master is his his confidence and approval. So it isn't unfair. And understand that, that, that we belong to the Lord. He made us, as we learned in the first story. Well, we, I should stop and we should go and we'll take a break. We'll come back with mass hysteria and... Um, uh, I have more thoughts about my attending Mass. And you can call in at 888-914-9149. 888-914-9149. We'll be right back. The Relevant Radio Studio Line is sponsored by Catholic Order of Foresters. Information about employment opportunities and their flexible premium life insurance plans available at relevantradio.com slash forester. Well, this one isn't so bad. It's at least about God. I mean, you know, the, yesterday somebody called in, and how do I explain this, that this praise music, well, there's some praise music, that's, it's beautiful. And again, I am not anti-hymn at all. I just think that, that if we should sing hymns where they should be sung. You know, and when you're entering church, leaving church, fine. But then there is an entrance antiphon. There is a traditionally an offertory antiphon. Um, uh, there's the, the sound between the readings, which I think we used to call the gradual. Uh, there's the, the Alleluia verse. Uh, we've got all this Bible in the, in the, um, in the Mass. And now we don't want Bible. We want nice songs that have a nice melody to make us feel good. You know, and, and a lot of the praise music, if you really looked at it, it is so me-oriented. Uh, I was thinking of uh, a really great song that I, I've heard. We used to sing at prayer meeting. Um, uh, the uh, um, what is it? Uh, uh, he came from heaven to earth, my debts to pay. Da, 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 da. It from the earth to the cross, the cross to the grave. Lord, I lift my heart on. Uh, I lift your name on. It's very me, you know. It's all about me. Uh, um, you know, it's all about how God loves me, and this is a good thing. It's true. But it's all that me music, and it's never us music. Now the activists, you know, the 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 progressive types, at least they have, at least they have the um, uh, what you call the. Um, uh, uh, it's more us, but it's we're the greatest things in sliced bread. Amen. Hallelujah. Uh, so it's it's you know this this experience I had over the last week and of going to mass a few times and you know sitting in the pew and. It was oh I wanted to do a little shout out that group I mentioned mentioned the other day it's called the Floriani F L O R I A N I just think of floor F L O R Floriani and their their little card says uh, revitalizing sacred music in America they were really good um, um, they they did sacred polyphony at the at the holy holy and the Lamb of God you know I I, I don't know that I would have that I I would do that I think the place for polyphony is probably after the 
the um, offertory verses sung when we get an offertory verse back, which I don't think they've finished publishing them even for the new liturgy. Uh, and after we've sung the communion verse at Christmas, not Christmas, I mean at communion, not eh, close, when we sung the communion verse. But, um, uh, you know, the, it was beautiful music and, and it was tasteful music. And, and uh, uh, the thing that amazed me about this wedding I mentioned that I was at, uh, uh, that the first part was done in the Byzantine, right? Because the bride was... Uh, Ukrainian, uh, Ukrainian Byzantine. Uh, little little kids were singing along with it after they'd heard the the the, the responses two or three times. It it you almost couldn't help but sing, and it was simple chant in English, and it was it was very beautiful and and very involving. Now I was with a, one of my favorite people, uh, a relative who was very dear, and. Uh, I wish I was as committed to the life of grace and prayer as she and her family. Um, but, you know, she said something interesting. She said, well, I like this. And, well, that's fine. But I, I, there was a particular liturgical custom she was mentioned that she didn't like. Rather, she liked something else. And this is someone who is, I believe, genuinely holy in, in what she does and what she says. A person of... un just unstinting generosity and, and virtue. But, well, that's what I like. And I thought, that's how we were raised. It was about what we liked and not what was pleasing to God. And, you know, about reasonable dialogue on these things, which is not about what I like. Why do we do this? Is it because we believe the Lord wants it? And if we believe the Lord wants it, why do we think the Lord wants it? Why, you know, all right, facing, turn toward the Lord, facing, turn toward the people. Why, why do you like one better than the other? Why do you like facing the, the Lord? Well, it, it, I like it. It reminds me of the old days. That's not good enough. You know, for me, I think it's good catechesis. It teaches, you know, when, when kids, for instance, see their parents kneeling for communion, this is good catechesis. It's something that they don't do. Um, and I think that, that part of the Mass, turn toward the Lord, versus Dominum, uh, or Ad Orientum, whichever you prefer, it's striking. And it's, it's, a, it's a very visible uh, uh, indication that, uh, um, a very visible indication to me that, that the liturgy is a prayer, at least the second part of the liturgy is a prayer addressed to the Father. Well, why would someone like uh, Mass turn toward the people? Because it, it uh, they might say it, it, and I don't particularly agree with this, but they might say, well, it's more involving to the people. Uh, it brings people into the sacrifice of the Mass in a better way. I don't agree with that. But that if, if that's why you think it's, uh, then we can talk. Then we can discuss. It is pointless to argue over these things. To talk about them in a reasonable way is, is, is pleasing to God. You know, when your kids are talking to each other, they're disagreeing, but they're talking to each other. That pleases you. But when your kids are yelling at each other because they don't agree with each other, that's not pleasing to you as a parent. Do you think it's pleasing to God? Do you think in the church today our yelling at each other is pleasing to God? No, it's not. So when we when we talk about these things, uh, whether we are high or low, whether we are great by the city gate or just hewers of wooden drawers of waters and sitters in the back pew, 
we need to 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 earnestly seek what is pleasing to the lord and not as what what uh, what is our own opinion and i mean that on both sides of the argument all of sin and fallen short of the glory of god and that includes me i know what i like but what i like matters not a whit what god likes i'll never forget a woman came up to me at a big meeting and uh it uh, was when i was Cardinals liaison to Spanish-speaking prayer groups, and and there was this huge argument about what to do with money, and the the leadership group was three, four hundred people, and it was just about evenly divided. And this woman comes up to me and she says in in Padre, in Spanish, Padre, quieres saber lo que opino yo? You want to know what I think, Father? And I looked and I said, No, I don't. If you have any idea what God thinks, I would love to hear that. And she looked at me, but I have no interest in what you think. If you can give me any indication of what God thinks, and maybe what you think, but tell me, if you're going to tell me what you think, tell me why you think it. Uh, be you on the right, on the left, or somewhere standing in the middle of the road where they can run you over from both angles. All right, that's enough for word of the day. We're going to go to what letters I have. Oh, no, not word of the day. Uh, this was uh, mass hysteria. Word of the day. The word of the day is really cool. All right. Uh, okay, we got letters here. All right. I got a wonderful letter from Monsignor Dempsey that I, I have studied since. And he makes the point, you know, people ask this question all the time. Are the Old Testament, the patriarchs, all those people, are they in heaven? Well, the church certainly thought they were. Um, Monsignor mentions leaving aside the Eastern churches, uh, for instance, Byzantine tradition, the Sunday between December 11th and the 17th is the Sunday of the Holy Forefathers. In the Roman Rite, most of the major patriarchs and prophets are comm commemorated in the Roman Martyrology. What, you may ask, is the Roman Martyrology? It is the approved list of, uh, it's not exhaustive, but it is, it is extensive. The list of saints in the uh, in their feast days in the Roman calendar. A martyrology isn't just about martyrs. It's a list of martyrs and other saints. The word martyr in Greek means witness, and logos means study. So it's a study of the witnesses. And um, um, there is a beautiful prayer. There is a feast. Now, let me see where I can find it. Where Monsignor put it. Uh, there's a beautiful feast of the... On, on August, uh, let me see, uh, the the August 1st, in the old, the 1969 calendar reform, August 1st was the commemoration of the Holy Maccabees, uh, which includes the, the, the people who are martyred uh, uh, today, and uh, we, whose martyrdom we read about today, the seven sons, and then, of course, yesterday, uh, uh, the, the heroic elder of Israel who died. Uh, the Carmelites, for instance, uh, consider the prophet Elijah as their founder, uh, on Mount Carmel, and they celebrate uh, his feast on July 20th. So, um, uh, um, yeah, this this pretty much conclusively answers this question. Well, how could they be in heaven because Jesus hadn't died on the cross? For God, there is no time. All moments are now. All places are here. And though we are bound by the sacraments to quote the catechism, God is not. And uh, the 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 saints of the Old Testament uh, anticipated the cross by grace, just as our Blessed Mother uh, had what we call prevenient grace. In other words, grace that arrived ahead of time. She was saved by the cross, but God was able to take the grace of the cross 
and apply it to the Blessed Mother, even though in our reckoning of time, in our terrestrial reckoning of time, it had not yet happened. So, again, thanks, Monsignor, for that. That's that's great stuff. All right. Now, let's see here. I have a letter here. Oh, and someone wants to thank me for the mass hysteria that uh, it's made me rethink my thoughts about which hymn should be chosen, the importance of the antiphons, and my role in accompanying mass. Yes, this is... Thank you. This is from Bev, and thank you for that. But, uh, yeah, we can, you know, think about about this, that... Is that hymn that you like because it's really neat? Is that a good hymn or would scripture be better? I like scripture. I really like the Bible. This is one that um, asks for clarification of Father Simon's opinion. Uh, maybe I misunderstood. He was saying that we give permission to God when we pray. I was perplexed. Father, I believe we ask and we submit our intentions, and someone may ask his permission. We are not in any position to give God permission for anything. We most certainly are not in any position to give God permission, but he still asks for it. God will not make you happy against your will. God will not make you holy against your will. This is the marvel of the Christian faith, that we have a humble God who allowed himself to be bound to the cross, and I often tell the story of when fruit flies were dive bombing the chalice. And I said, Lord, couldn't you convince the fruit flies of this great miracle for a minute? And the little voice inside, which sometimes comes from the Lord, said, when my hands were nailed to the wood of the cross, I was a feast for the flies. To think that the hand that set the stars to spinning could not raise itself to swat the flies from his face. Think about that. Ours is a humble God who asks our permission to move in our lives. And if we deny him that permission by insisting on our own will, he respects our willfulness and our pride. God will respect our willfulness and our pride. Because ours, you know, that song, God is an awesome God. It should be, our God is a humble God who reigns. He's a humble God. And uh, so, no, it's, it's, don't be perplexed. All right. Um, here's something, some from Mike who's saying, uh, um, how do we discern between divine providence and the subtle coaxing distractions from the devil? I've experienced both. We don't. <laughs> we don't. Uh, it's our intention again that matters. That, that uh, another person wrote a letter that I haven't read. Uh, that uh, yet about uh, this idea of of uh, the intentionality of of prayer. That I really believe that if we go down the wrong path with complete sincerity, believing this is what the Lord wants me to do, then the Lord will make up for our stupidity. He's made up for my stupidity a whole lot. Uh, the Lord, the Lord is anxious to get us to heaven. So, you know, that, 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 understand we're in a spiritual warfare and the devil would love to interrupt our prayers, but God is greater. Remember, greater is he that is in us than he that is in the world. And, and so, uh, uh, you know, how do we discern between divine providence? We never know perfectly. St. Paul says in 1 Corinthians the 13th, we know in part, we prophesy in part. We're never going to get it a hundred percent right. And that should lead us to great humility. Say, Lord, I, I really believe that this is from you. I believe this is from you because of A, B, C, and D. You know, get your leading straight. I remember an old Pentecostal preacher would say, get your leading straight because you're going to need it. 
So these are the reasons I think this is from the Lord. I'm going to proceed, Lord, and I'm going to trust you. If this isn't from you, please close all the doors and, and, and uh, you know, make up for my ignorance. But I'm going to trust you. So life is, is, a, is, a, is a trust walk with the Almighty. And uh, we're never going to get it perfect, but we can, we can get closer and closer to the Lord and thus closer and closer to his perfect will for us. That's how I look at it. It's never going to be 100% right. And that's because we're not God. All right. We are going to take a break. And, um, uh, come on, what am I talking about here? Oh, yes, we're, we'll come back with a word. I the word of the day is really cool. Uh, uh, and, uh, we'll be back in just a minute or two. The Relevant Radio Studio Line is sponsored by Catholic Order of Foresters. Information about employment opportunities and their flexible premium life insurance plans available at relevantradio.com slash forester. Come on down, come on down, Lord, and gather in your fold. Come on down, like the shepherd in the glorious day of old. Come on down, come and get your children, don't be slow. It's so weary in this wicked world below. It is, that is true, it's a wicked world here below. And of course, speaking of wicked, Advent is coming up, and Advent... Uh, uh, a Hebrew word that means to shop like a crazy person. No, it doesn't. It's a Latin word meaning meaning the the coming, the approaching, and we we remember the coming of the Lord. And you know, once upon a time, Advent was had something to do with religion, <laughs> and it should again. So I invite you to go to our website and look for Father Rocky's Advent inspirations. They are. Just short reflections that will help you to celebrate Advent as if it were actually a religious feast instead of just the celebration of uh, of of uh, <laughs> of spending more money than you have. So, all right, let's go to the word of the day. Now, in the word of the day, we read uh, the third servant, the third slave comes. Why do they translate that servant? Word means slave. Doulos. Sir, here is your gold coin, your mna. I kept it stored. That's M-N-A. Mna. That's it. That's not like that Muppet song. Mna, 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 mna. Never mind. The other servant came in and said, Sir, here is your mna. I kept it stored away in a handkerchief, for I was afraid of you because you are a demanding man. I thought, what, what's demanding? It's not just demanding. It's an interesting word. And it the word is austeros. It means we get the word austere in English, and it probably comes from the word haol, which means to dry. In other words, it's it's uh, um, uh, the Australis was the wind from the south uh, that dried things out, and it, it may actually come from the word uh, 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 for air. In other words. A blustery sort of person, and a dry, this dry wind, which came up from North Africa, uh, that that it, they call it the Shiroko now. And if it's actually a defense in a court of law, if you kill someone during the Shiroko, the south wind, you can actually use that as sort of an insanity defense. So that's what this word is. I knew you were a a, a, a blustery. You were a stormy man, uh, uh, a harsh man. It's a it's a very rich word, so I think it's a cool word. I knew that you were kind of uh, 
Oh gosh, I've known people like that who, oh, do I have to actually go to a, they want to see me in the office? Oh, please, no, please, no. Rawr! Oh, that kind of guy. All right. Rawr, let's go to phones. 888-914-9149. Oh, dear. 888-914-9149. Who have we got on the line? Oh, Ken from Joliet. I, let me let me switch that. Hold on, I'm going to do a quick switch. Voice in my head. Ken from Joliet. Are you with us, Ken from Joliet? Yes. Hello, Father. How are you today? Hello. What can I do for you? Yeah, Father. I'm. Uh, I came to the church as an adult, uh, but there's one question that's always plagued me. I, I grew oh, up in the mm-hmm. Baptist church. Sure. And uh, learning about the Catholic Church, I find that they are the only true church. But given that, and I believe that wholeheartedly, why haven't Protestants flocked to the church in numbers? Well, I I think that most Protestants haven't flocked to the church because <laughs> we cradle Catholics do not always give the best example. You know, I I, I was it. Uh, um, was it Samuel Johnson who said he didn't understand how a person could leave the Catholic Church to become a Protestant without losing their mind? Because a Protestant, when he becomes a Catholic, loses nothing. They still have Jesus in the Bible. But a Catholic loses the sacraments, loses the tradition of the communion of saints, all these things. But you see, we cradle Catholics very often don't undergo a conversion and don't realize the riches that we have. Uh, and, well, I'm Catholic because I'm Irish. That's not a good enough reason to be Catholic. you got to undergo a conversion. You must accept Christ as your Lord and Savior. With this, we agree with the Baptists. Uh, but we must uh, also accept his bride, the Church. <laughs> and that's where I think the Baptists and the Catholics differ. But so many uh, people who are so-called cradle Catholics and a lot of cradle Protestants, they believe the myths they've heard. Uh, you know, I've met, like Dr. Scott Hahn writes a wonderful book, uh, Rome Sweet Home, about his conversion to Roman Catholicism. Uh, and um, uh, he talks about how he was raised in a mythology about the evils of Catholicism. But quite unfortunately, uh, so often people who are Catholic by nature, so-called, uh, they live down to the bad things people say. And, and I mean, I have to jump in there and say, I have done that. I, I have not been a perfect Catholic. So I, I, think, I think that's part of it. Um, the prejudice with which we are raised, I, I think that the very, it's a very important saying, God has no grandchildren. You know, that you never see the grandchildren of God mentioned in the scriptures, <laughs> at least in the New Testament. You're a son or a daughter of God by adoption, by coming to know Christ. Um, and, and I think that, that, that it's God's grandchildren who make things difficult. Well, I was, my father was a Baptist, my grandfather was a Baptist, or my father was a Catholic, my grandfather's a Catholic. Well, you aren't. What do you mean I'm not? Have you come to accept the truth of your faith and are you living it? So, you know, I, in Chicago, to, technically, I think there are 2,200,000 Catholics. Before COVID, 400,000 of them went to Mass on Sunday. Now I bet it's down to two or 300,000. And I would count there are only two or 300,000 Catholics in Chicago. We're a tiny church considering the population of the city. What do you mean I'm a Catholic? I actually had some guy call in angry, saying, I am a perfectly good Catholic. I go to Mass every Christmas and every Easter without fail. 
<laughs> he actually said that. I'll never forget that. So I don't know if I've answered your question in that, but I know that evangelicals, in my experience, make the best Catholics. So thank you for offering your life, not only for Christ, but for his church. Does that help? Yes, Father. I do have a related question, if I can ask it sure. quickly. Being from that background, and for years, I mean, my parents, grandparents, and beyond them, or before them, mm -hmm. they all died believing in Jesus Christ. Sure. Uh, what is their, What would be their state, then? If well, they, if they died in a state the of grace, preaches that yeah. uh, there's no salvation outside the church. Ah, that's, that's the nulla salus extra ecclesium. There's no salvation beyond the church. They were not beyond the church. They were united to the church by baptism. We share baptism with the Baptist, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. They were not. They were not outside the church. Uh, and and I'm sure when they stood before the Lord. The Lord said, welcome, good and faithful servant. By the way, I'd like you to meet my wife, <laughs> the church. And uh, no, I, I, I think the idea that, that the extra ecclesium Salus, that that unless you go to heaven with a baptismal certificate from a Catholic parish, I don't think that's what it means, that beyond the church there is no salvation. And what is the church given? The church is given the sacraments, of which one is baptism. The church is given the scriptures. I remember when I was um, uh, teaching a Bible study, a group of, uh, they weren't even Baptists, they were they thought Baptists were too liberal. They came in to break up the Bible study. And I, I, when they came in, I knew there was going to be trouble. And they said, brother, and I knew there was going to be a discussion. How is it that you're saved? And I said, well, you're saved by, by grace through faith, by accepting Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior. And they were dumbfounded because I speak fluent evangelicalese. And uh, I was supposed to give them the wrong answer. And they said, well, we're here to break up the, the your Bible study because Catholics aren't going to heaven and they, they don't know anything about salvation. And and I, I we got into it and I said, you owe your salvation to the Catholic Church. They said, what? I owe my salvation no man. And when I waved the, 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 the Bible and said, I found salvation in the pages of this book. And I said, who do you think copied that book year after year in dark medieval scriptoria? Catholic monks, you wouldn't have the Bible if the Catholic Church did not preserve it for you. So in that sense, they are not beyond the Catholic Church. And remember what the Catechism says. We are bound by the sacraments. God is not. And those people who lived sacrificial and loving lives and heard the gospel and obeyed it, I, I, I would believe that the Lord said, well done, good and faithful servant, because they are not beyond the church. The word is extra, outside, or beyond the church. There's no salvation. You can't invent a new church. You can't sing a new church into being. You have to have the church that Jesus gave us. And though they don't have the fullness of it, they do have the scriptures and baptism. Does that help? Yes, thanks very much, Father. I'll give you a rousing amen. And, uh, amen, brother. And a line drive. <laughs> amen. God bless you. So good to hear <laughs> from care. you, and thanks for listening. Who we got now, dear voice in my head? Deacon Wayne from Montana. Are you with us, Deacon Wayne? What can I do for you? Yes, Father, it's a pleasure to speak with you. I've heard of you so many times. <laughs> well, conversation. Take it with a grain of salt. What can I do for you, Deacon Wayne? Father, I, I'm preparing for a homily for this weekend, Christ the mm -hmm. King. Oh. And there's a tone about uh, the temple yes. that I'm really interested in. And I think I heard you once before say that the high priest... He tore his garments from the bottom up. Yes. And the temple was 
in the naos of the temple, the Holy of Holies, mm-hmm. God tore the curtain from the top down. Hmm. Now, the significance is that from the bottom up, it's saying that the devil has come and be with us, and that was a blasphemy that they said that Jesus was doing. But in reality, when the temple was torn, it was God saying, no, you blaspheme me. Hmm. Am I on the right track? You know, I don't know that I was the one who said that, that the high priest tore his garments from the bottom up. Hmm. Uh, yeah, you know, the, somebody, I think there's, there's a correl- Go on. Somebody commented on the uh, Passion of the Christ when the uh, in the movie they tore he tore his garments from the top down. Yeah, I've and, always thought that. And, I've always thought that. But what I would I would say you're not on the wrong track entirely. I would say you know that 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 the high priest did this uh, in a way that was blasphemous. And God simply, in a sense, agreed with him that yes, you blasphemed, and the curtain in the temple is torn. That it's very—I think you're right. It's very significant that the high priest tore his garments, exposing the temple of the Holy Spirit, which his body was meant to be. I mean, I don't think he did it to the extent that he would have been indecent, but that was a common Jewish gesture. But he was the high priest, and so as he did. So was done in the temple. That, that's how I would look at it. Um, but if it was from the bottom up, I, I've never heard that. And so you might have heard it from some other preacher. But uh, no, there's, there's, you're very right that there's a strong correlation between what the high priest did and what God did in the temple. Because, the, you know, uh, we see in, for instance, the book of Exodus, that when Pharaoh slays the firstborn, that he, has, uh, he wants to slay God's firstborn, Israel, then the firstborn of Egypt are slain. What goes around comes around. The high priest, in that dramatic gesture, uh, blasphemed God. He tore he tore his his vestments, and so God said, "That's what you want. That's what you're going to get." What goes around comes around. I don't know if that helps at all, but but I've never heard about the the vestments being torn from the bottom up. So I hope that gives you a little cannon fodder, um, and Thank I'll you. keep. I'll keep looking, and if I find if I find that reference, I'll 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 mention it in the next few days. Okay. All right. Thank you, well, Father. Thank you, yep. and I'm honored that you listen, Deacon. God bless. Who have we got now? Gary from Cherry Hill. We just got less than a minute. What what do you, what can I do for you? Hey, Father Simon. Uh, what does eternity mean to you personally, in terms of time? It means timelessness. It's the transition from from time into timelessness that uh, uh, Scripture says we shall know as we are known when we see Him. First John, uh, and and um, you know that we will begin to experience time the way God experiences it. As I always say, for Him, all moments are now, all places are here. That if we know as we are known, all places will be here and all time will be now for us when we enter into the fullness of the beatific vision. So that's how I think of it. And speaking of the beatific vision and timelessness, well, it isn't timeless, but it's, it's, it's a couple hours. So listen to Drew. He's coming up. <laughs> 